Welcome back to Normies Like Us, the podcast that reminds you it's hip to be square. We've boldly gone where no one's gone before. We've spent time on the Enterprise with Captain Picard. But now, it's time to visit the Bajoran Wormhole, maybe stop by Quark's Bar for a drink and a round of Dabo. Today, we're talking the black sheep of the Star Trek family. It's Deep Space Nine on Normies Like Us. Welcome to DS9. I'm Benjamin Sisko. I suppose you want the office. Well, I thought I'd say hello first. What was he doing in a runabout at four in the morning? Apparently, he was getting murdered. <laughs> you can't deny me all you want. But you cannot deny Ben Sisko exists. That future, that space station, all those people, they exist in here. In my mind, I created it. Welcome back to Normies Like Us. You heard it up top. We have boldly gone where we haven't before, but today we're staying put. We're hanging out on a star station. That's right. We're talking Deep Space Nine on Normies Like Us with your host, uh, Red Shirt Colin. Well, we we call it, uh, it's called Tarak Nor in my my normal uh, broadcasting area. So I'm a gall, my cot. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, Constable Jodo. Nice. And this is Jake Sisko here to talk about Deep Space <laughs> wow. Nine. Well, Jake Sisko, um, thanks for uh, joining us today. Jake, Jacob, yes. uh, this is your pick for the fan February, right? You want to you wanna bring it That's up right. speed? That's right. I'm super excited to talk about it, you guys. Uh, we've done Star Trek in general. We've done The Next Generation, A Closer Look. And now I think it's time to... Uh, look at the le- little bit less appreciated in its time, but kind of getting a new resurgence now, Deep Space Nine. And I wanted to do this because I'm a big fan of the show. Uh, I would actually probably say, as much as I like The Next Generation, and I do love that show, this is probably my favorite Star Trek. It's very close between those two. Wow. Um, but the main reason I wanted to do it is because this this is a show that came out in the 90s, 93 to 99, and... I. Uh, you know, I just think it was ahead of its time in a lot of ways, um, and I think it would fit in a lot better in the TV landscape today, and so I just want to talk about how, uh, you know, it was kind of ahead of its time. Nice, 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 and um, I guess we should go around and get our history with the series, then. I guess I'll jump in here. Um I watch all these, all the Star Trek series, every episode of every one. And this, I would say, is probably my second favorite series. I lean more TNG. But like Jacob said, they are really very different. And uh, I've just been, the past couple weeks, I I watched the uh, documentary, What We Leave Behind, which has been great. And uh, I'm just in a constant state of picking and choosing random episodes. But for this specifically, besides randos, I watched the very first episode and the very last episode to kind of get the bookends here and we'll see what happens. But uh, how about you guys, Colin? Uh, what, what did you do to prep for this? You know, I'm coming back. I missed the GI Joe episode. Joe's amazing pick last week where I was doing research. I was watching both those movies and I was so excited to uh, throw to Joe a, Hey, Destro, you're out of the band. Didn't get to happen. <laughs> Mike, we did yours. We did karate kid where I was like, eh, am I into these movies? And then by the end of it, I was like, Oh, these are the best movies ever made. <laughs> I'm not a Trek boy. You know, I've never watched Star Trek. Right. I've seen the movies. You know, my dad loved the original series. I, I like the Kelvin timeline, what they call the new series as well. Mm. I watched the documentary Mike mentioned as well for this. And I watched the pilot episode. And I got to say, 
these fan Februaries we've been doing, guys, I just get so fucking sucked into your guys' choices. I fucking loved what I saw. I got a zillion wow. questions, of course, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to trek. Well, Colin, I wanted to say my main mission of this episode was to get you to, you know, give the show a chance because we have, you're the non-Trekkie of the normies, uh, Joe and Mike, you guys have both seen Deep Space Nine. Um, so I was trying to get Colin into it and I'm glad you're liking it. It's interesting because the pilot, Emissary, uh, not my favorite episode, not really uh, emblematic, I think, of where the series went. Um, you know, like a lot of Star Trek shows, the first season is a little rough, but it gets, it you know, gets its footing over time. Yeah, it sounds like we got we mission accomplished here. Uh, you know, six minutes in. But Joe, how about you? What, what was your your prep and your background with DS Nine? Uh, you know, so so I've watched everything in the TNG era. So TNG, Deep Space Nine, uh, Voyager, and all of those mm-hmm. movies. And I'm kind of with Jacob here. I always love to say TNG is my favorite, but anytime I start rewatching DS Nine, it it's DS Nine, man. Like, there's something about all of the dynamics in this show that I'm really excited to talk about because it is kind of its own niche in Star Wars or Star Trek where it covers, you know, some stuff that we don't usually get on the, the traditional adventures of the Enterprise. Totally. And it's, and we should say, like, it goes totally against Gene Roddenberry's vision of Star Trek. This is the oh, first no. show made completely <laughs> after his death. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's different. In that vein of going against Gene Rodberry. Now, Jacob, I know that this is a Ronald D. Moore production, and the other thing you were thinking about talking about was Battleship Galactica, or Battlestar Galactica, I'm sorry. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, is this the Battlestar of Star Trek, I guess? Is it kind of the most in vain with that stuff? I think you could say so. I mean, there's the, the darker themes, um, the characters, because basically Roddenberry's vision was that there would never be any interpersonal drama between characters. So if you look at uh, the original series or even the next generation, um, the, the, the crew members don't really fight between themselves or have problems with their relationship. This show totally says, no, like, you know, they're real people. They have disagreements. Sometimes they have to work things out. And, um, you know, Roddenberry, he was, he was an optimist, a utopist, which is, uh, all well and good, but I think this is a little more realistic look at what the the future could be like. Well, I say we jump right in. I think we're about to come out the other side of the Bajoran wormhole. I don't know what we were doing in the the Gamma Quadrant, but anyway, we're we're almost back to uh, Deep Space Nine. So let's <laughs> let's hop in and talk. The uh, take take me out to the ball game. Yeah, take me out to the ball game. Let's let's talk some baseball metaphors and the mysteries of the universe. Deep Space Nine. Right after this. it's all right it, it's all right it's all right because it's not linear why do you exist here right right <laughs> yeah anyway we're back we're on the other side of that wormhole and things are about to get crazy it's the future we're talking star trek deep space nine here on normies like us and uh let's go let's hit it let's dive right in give us the breakdown right. on this specific star trek 
Um, yeah, so basically Deep Space Nine is a space station, right? And uh, it takes place uh, next to the Bajoran homeworld, which happens to have a wormhole open up. And this wormhole um, causes, you know, a lot of implications throughout the, the galaxy um, because it connects to the Gamma Quadrant. So, you know, the, the galaxy split into four quadrants, right? You got the Alpha and Beta Quadrant, which is where humans and Klingons and Romulans live. Then you have the Delta Quadrant, which if you've seen Voyager, that's where they are in Voyager. And then you have the Gamma Quadrant, which is like on the other side of the, the universe. Not the universe, but the uh, the Milky Way galaxy. Galaxy. Yeah. Um, so really never before reached by Starfleet. All of a sudden there's this wormhole. You can get there and back in a couple seconds. So that opens up a lot of political implications and uh, things like that. It's kind of like the only stable wormhole. So you have this kind of backwater space station. It's serving as our kind of frontier town where, you know, other Star Trek, you're on a wagon train exploring. This one, you're just out on a frontier town and let's say a gold mine is discovered. Right. And it creates a rush of interest from different factions and everybody wanting to kind of access the, the value that this this new uh, thing has basically created. So you go from being a dusty nowhere to being like one of the biggest trading and political hubs, you know, overnight, yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even to add on to that, it's essentially like a, a railway, right? I mean, it's the first time that there is a quick access to a whole nother section of the universe. So it is like the, you know, the transcontinental railroad. So it even ties in more to the old West metaphors. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Bringing civilization to that uh, untouched place that was Here. a little rough and tough now. And there's a lot more uh, activity going on. And a totally. Totally. The, the melting pot is happening for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. You guys are right on. And uh, at the same time that this is happening, on the Bajoran homeworld, which has been occupied by Cardassia for uh, like 150 years or something like that, um, basically the Cardassians are pulling out of Bajor. And at the same time, uh, Bajor is starting its steps to enter um, the Federation. So the Starfleet is there overseeing everything. And so they appoint commander at this point, Commander Cisco, to oversee the transition of power there on uh, Deep Space Nine, which is a repurposed Cardassian station that was called Terok Nor during the occupation. Um, so it's very interesting. Federation is now controlling this, this station. Um, and so there's a lot going on. Uh, yeah. And what I like also about the show is that you see not only Starfleet characters, but you also see non you see civilians like uh you know Odo and uh Major Kira who uh is the second in command who is a Bajoran. Of course, because we have the introduction of a promenade, we we get this constant verbiage of, oh, yes. <laughs> you got to check out the promenade where the normal people live. It's very important that we have a status quo, people mixing and mingling. I'm like, "Oh, what an interesting little thing. You know, I have always looked at Star Trek as workplace comedies. Or not comedies, but dramas, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, you yeah. guys are so right in that it's, the ship is a, it's a world. It's, it's, they're always small worlds. It's actually like city interactions, westerns, totally. you know, stuff you guys are talking about. Yeah, it's really like a port town almost. Like, um, you know, it's San Francisco or something. Ships are coming in and out all the time, going through the wormhole. Yeah. Or, yeah, I mean, the way I see it, it's like it literally is an old west town because you have your main street on the promenade, like Colin said, there's a <laughs> saloon, there's a there's a the jail and there's a sheriff, you know, with some of the new characters. And it's I think the cast is, yeah, the cast is one of the most, I think, interesting things 
about it because usually you'll have a fairly large amount of human characters and then one or two aliens. But this is all kinds of different characters from different backgrounds. It's like a bunch of misfits thrown together. And that right away kind of sets you up for a different kind of Star Trek. Totally. And it's, you know, in the vein of Old West Americana type stuff, it's it's a melting pot. You have all these different uh, races of aliens and different factions and different people with different points of view. So I think that's a really interesting. You have Quark, who is just a civilian Ferengi trying to make a living owning a bar. You have Odo, the, the chief of security. Um, so that's a lot of fun. Um, Who's a shapeshifter. Yes. <laughs> and then you have... You know, an ex-freedom uh, fighter Bajoran like Kira, um, Starfleet officer in command, Cisco. There's a lot of different people kind of coming in and out of here. Right. Even even a Cardassian tailor, yes. you know, is just trying to sell his wares. Or maybe not. But you and, know what I mean? yeah, another great thing is with, with Kira, who is the, the first officer on Deep Space Nine, she's not Starfleet. But um, in order to keep diplomatic relationships good, they have... She's the representative for Bajor on the station. And the fact that she is second in command there over, you know, other Starfleet officers and stuff is like a big thing. So um, it's a lot of stuff that's really never been seen before in Star Trek. And that's what's kind of cool about it. Yeah, I mean, she's not even super stoked about the Federation being there. But we got to ask these guys, Colin and Joe, let's start with Colin. You watch this pilot. Like, do any of these characters jump out? Do you have any questions? Wow, a million. But I would even say, just to place it in a timeline, uh, right, for you guys or for all of us, you're talking so much about how you love TNG. The Next Generation is airing before Deep Space Nine, and then the one after it is Enterprise, or, or what Voyager. one is it with the Voyager, Voyager with the, the lady captain, right? Yes, yes. Janeway. Captain Janeway. Voyager, I also think, is great. That's probably my third favorite. But if you guys are saying you like TNG, the pilot of this show is like, actually, you shouldn't like TNG. Jean-Luc right. Picard is a jerk or whatever. And when I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, I'm absolutely <laughs> on Captain or Commander Sisko's team. Jean-Luc Picard does seem yeah. like a piece of shit. Well, yeah, there's it, a layer it's of subtext very much there. The, um, it's very much the like, Professor X, you're a jerk moment, Colin. Like it is, you know, like, mm. oh, maybe these are, are a different way to look at the characters. Right. Well, Colin, let me put it in context for you, too, because um, so in TNG, the famous Borg two-parter, best of both worlds, uh, Picard is captured by the Borg and turned into Locutus, who's the spokesperson for the Borg, basically. <laughs> and they're Locutus. about to, <laughs> yeah, and they're about to, ca- they're about to take over Earth. So there's a big battle at this place called Wolf 359. It's a huge event in the Starfleet universe. Um so then we go into uh, Deep Space Nine and we find that Cisco was there at the battle and his wife actually died in the battle. Um, and so we get in the pilot. Picard was leading that yes. force. So yeah. when we get their meeting. As a Borg. Uh, in the pilot of Cisco meeting Picard, we see that tension because, you know, he only knows Picard really as, you know, this, as Locutus. So it's like an added level of uh, subtext there that's very interesting. It's good, man. Seeing Picard disarmed and seeing somebody just legitimately pissed off at him, like as a TNG fan, you don't see it. So seeing Picard, like you could tell he's remorseful, but he has this rank and he's got to uphold the thing. He doesn't know how to react to Cisco. It's just a really cool scene. 
And considering when it happened on television, uh, TNG was not over. TNG was still running. Wow. So yeah. to just introduce this no, new show where in the first episode, the new main character is like, no, I fucking hate the main character of that other <laughs> show. It's just a really bold mm-hmm. thing to do. And it really puts the whole Federation in a different light, which I think kind of immediately frames that DS9 is not going to be your traditional Star Trek show. That it's going to be... Something new and a little more complicated and a little more nuanced. So I right. loved it right out of the gate. And I think um, a big part of that comes down to the casting of Avery Brooks as Cisco. So in TNG, Picard, obviously Patrick Stewart, amazing actor, one of the best ever. And his acting on that show is great. And it really brings that show to another level. Same thing with Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Avery Brooks is, is doing really good acting here, I think. Um, some people find it a little... You know, scene chewy or like over the top at times, but I I love it personally. And to cast, you know, Avery Brooks, obviously a black man in the 90s. This was a big thing, him leading the show. um, And it worked really well, I think. Yeah, and there's a lot. Maybe we should each we can mention our favorite characters here because there are a lot of really great casting decisions. People like Rene Auberjonois, Aldo is amazing. Uh, Andrew Robinson is Garrick. I think Garrick is my personal favorite character, even though he's a spy and a shitbag because he's fictional. I can like him, but I really have fun with that Garrick character. Which Colin, if you have questions, is he sort of the gargoyle faced looking guys? He's part of the evil syndicate team. Well, Well, yeah, he's he's the tailor. He stayed behind because he got exiled because he betrayed them. Or there's a mysterious reason he got exiled. So we should say pretending to be a tailor. Yeah, we should say now um, we're probably going to spoil pretty much. A lot of the show, right? So, spoiler <laughs> warning for the whole yes. show. Um, if you haven't seen it, sorry, Colin, we might spoil things for you if you want to watch no, it. Again, but. from having seen the documentary, it jumps around a lot. It talks a lot about, yeah. a, you know, the differing, just ha- how how magical it was to put this show together. Serialized storytelling for the 90s. Again, Jacob, a lot of the points where you're saying this is an interesting show because it's breaking ground. But to jump back to Avery Brooks for a minute, you know, mm-hmm. Jacob, in this documentary, they're saying things like, well, you know, we couldn't let him shave his head or grow out a goatee. Right. Like, he fought for that. You know, a black man with a shaved head is too powerful on screen. And you go, Jean-Luc Picard <laughs> is a bald man. Right. And this is what's insane is that, you know, this was just the 90s, no not goatee, that long though. ago. But um, similar to, you know, Riker growing the beard in TNG, that's kind of when it became, you know, what it is. Deep Space Nine, the wow. first two seasons or three seasons, you have Avery Brooks, you know, hair, no beard kind of dad mode um not really you know what he would become but they finally let him do the look that he wanted to do bald with the goatee and that's what i feel like the show grew its beard moment right there wow. yeah i would agree joe do you have any feelings about cisco or other characters that stand out to you with this oh, series oh i i adore all the characters in this series like my my dream team for a star trek like lineup if i had to take a, a crew out would be basically the mm-hmm. entirety of ds9 with like data thrown in there and maybe chicote ah. and that would be it um chicote no no harry kim yeah, yeah i'm surprised I don't wanna, you like chicote so much I love I love Chicote. I don't know. Like he doesn't get enough to do in Voyager, but yeah. like, the character I feel like would just fit in so well with so many of the DS9 characters. Wow. With the Marquee storyline yeah. too. He would fit in within DS9's mythos. I guess well. like I'm going to say one I can't I can't pick a favorite, but I have an idea of who some other people are going to say are their favorites. So I'm going to go ahead and call Odo um because he's like the 
anti-data. Like data is this mm. uh, this closed off um, person who wants to feel, you know, like he wants that emotion. Odo, on the other hand, is like really overly emotional, but distances himself. Like they, they kind of have the same exact problem, Odo and data. They just go about it in entirely different ways. Uh, and I love his evolution over over the course of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two sides of that Pinocchio coin. They they are very great, and Odo is awesome. As an outsider, Odo seems fascinating. Obviously, you guys have said he's a shapeshifter before, and I go like, what does that mean? And just from the basic look, Joe, I would have thought he was an android like Data because he's got that washed out face or whatever. But you know, in that pilot, he gets like shot in the brains and he turns his head to water. Like what? What? Can, he, he's a he, a changeling. He can just do anything. He can change. So into he any is form. from. Um, yeah, he's he's from a different part. He's from the other side of the wormhole. We will come to learn, and there is a mystery to his people. But he is calling like full on. I can turn into a bird shapeshifter. Oh wow! <laughs> he he needs to go back to being a puddle every sixteen hours to recharge. But there's a point at which he's holding a cup of coffee and explaining. So wait, you are you the cup and the coffee? He's like yes. And when I drink it, I simply just move it from here back to here, and I pretend to Whoa. drink. So I can look normal. I did not so, that. Yeah, and so it's hard yeah. <laughs> to talk about later plot elements in the show without revealing certain mysteries in the early part of the show, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, who Odo is exactly and where he comes from becomes a big part of the, the overarching plot. And he kind of learns, he, he trains his ability over time and he realizes he can do more than he even realizes at first. Amazing. Yeah, and it's it's common for Star Trek to have somebody who's a non-human character get to a point in the storyline where they choose their loyalty between the their surrogate family of their new friends and you know their ancestral lands. Let's say you know Worf had that in TNG. So there's a little bit of that happening, and it does happen a lot. Um, I think after the characters, right? Like Jacob has mentioned a little bit, the themes here are a lot more serious. Even we see that straight from you know yelling at Picard. We're dealing with things that are not as black and white um, as other Star Treks, where it's simply morality parables. Here, everybody's getting a little bit of dirt under their fingernails. Everybody's got some blood on their hands. Nothing is quite as simple, and it's a little more grounded in the real world. And I think that's why people, one, didn't like it at the time as a Star Trek thing, but now really appreciate because it's such a fresh take on the right. universe. And uh, especially in later seasons. So we have, so Starfleet obviously. Uh, is still like a utopian society and they're trying to remain that way. But then you have this existential threat of the Dominion coming in from the Gamma Quadrant trying to take over the Alpha Quadrant. So um, there's a lot of factions in the Alpha Quadrant that don't want this, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes a very complicated thing. And we actually see Starfleet in the Federation during wartime in the later seasons. Like it's an actual war. And that's obviously never been seen before in, you know, Next Generation. Um really since I guess the, the war with the Klingons when they first met the Klingons back in like the original series days. Yeah. And you, you don't see like a war scaled conflict, you know, or you even with the Borg, there were some large battles in TNG, but like all out war, multiple planets and factions. It's a big, you know, it's like the game of Thrones of Star Trek, yeah. almost the, the chess pieces moving along. Totally. The and, you know, Starfleet obviously is mainly an exploration. You know, they have exploration and science vessels, uh, but those vessels have to be turned into warships for this. And so you have episodes where they're just reading off casualty lists of all the people dying in the war. And like you see the 
you know, the effect it has on Cisco and the crew of just like people dying all around him and stuff. Yeah. But Colin, can I get then before we go jumping around episodes, like first impression on the pilot, you get to meet, like you said, Cisco and the whole crew, his son, Jake. And then, um, He's not just the captain, but he's also the emissary to the space gods. Amazing. And he teaches them about linear existence with baseball. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah, true. So, um, yeah, so for Cisco... Oh, sorry. Well, I sorry. was asking... Uh, well, uh, yeah, it's hard for... You know, Jesus Christ is a figure where I'm like, I don't know about any of that. But then when somebody's like, well, my space religion says, I'm like, ooh, that's even harder. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> I, I'm down. I, I think it's wild. Uh, again, you know, just knowing and jumping things ahead and stuff, it, it seems so singular in that you heard the creators talk a lot about, like you guys said, for a long time, it was just Klingon Romulans, Klingons, Romulans, Klingons, Romulans, bad guys, bad guys, bad guys. TNG does Borg. And then they want to do their own one of a kind thing. And you guys sort of called it a collective, but this idea that it's... It, it's just that Starfleet might be wrong. You know, it's not that they're up against, like, faceless robots. It's it's truly that other people have joined together to be like, no, 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 we need to be in control of this, right? Is that sort of the ideological shift in this series? I mean, it boils down to, like, an access of evil, essentially. Like, you know, the, the Dominion Wars are a... a uh, a set of planets and factions and races that band together against the Federation. So it is kind of like, you know, World War II-esque. Yeah, so we have these different factions in the Alpha Quadrant, like the Cardassians. So the first conflict before the Dominion show up is, uh, you know, Starfleet and the Federation overseeing the Cardassian withdrawal from Bajor. The Cardassians, which are were introduced to the Next Generation along with the Bajorans, they really get fleshed out a lot in this show. Um, and uh, at first, uh, the Federation is kind of allies with Cardassia, and it's Cardassia and Klingons who are actually about to go to war with each other. And uh, then all of a sudden, there's a reversal where the, the Cardassians betray the Federation, and then the Federation ends up allying again with the Klingons, and the Cardassians ally with the Dominion in later seasons. So there's a lot going on there. I mean... The Cardassians have appeared in TNG. They have they tortured Picard right. in the famous "There are there four lights" are uh, episode. Four lights, amazing stuff. Yeah. So, they, so they're established, but they're essentially our space Nazis. Oh, like I think most explicitly, there's space yes. fascists, and they've been opposing the Bajorans, putting them in labor camps. Yeah. Like, well, it's, it's, it's a purging them for their religious beliefs. It's, it's very, very Nazis and clearly and Jews. an allegory yeah, very, for that. Very good allegory for that. Bajorans are a very spiritual, uh, peaceful people. Um, and they've been, you know, occupied by Cardassia for so long, put to work as, as slaves and that kind of thing. I would just say in kind of an only Star Trek sort of way, right? The pilot of the episode is we need to provide aid to these people and whether or not we all agree on it, it's like, well, here's like a financial crisis and let's all talk it out and stuff. And you watch that and I'm like, you know, Texas is getting like federal aid and stuff right now. And, you know, like, you know, all these conflicting ideologies. And I'm like, wow, this is so prescient and so interesting. You guys are talking about how these guys, the Kardashians are Nazis or whatever. When I'm watching the documentary, 
and they're just going through all the characters and stuff. The actor who plays that main evil bad guy for the series seems so charismatic and so yeah. likable and so awesome that I'm like, oh, I bet this guy's going to be my favorite character. And they're like, well, he's actually the bad guy. Gal Dukat. Um, he is a great. Uh, he's a great antagonist. Um, he's seen and he has a multiple different kind of roles throughout the series. At some points, he's almost kind of aligning with the good guys uh, before wow. ending up as like the big bad at the end. But Mark Alamo does a great job as Gal Dukat. Um, and him and Kira have a really interesting relationship because Kira was a freedom fighter. Some may call her a terrorist because, you know, she was like blowing up, uh, you know, Cardassian military buildings and stuff like that during the occupation. So, um, and he, I should also say, Galdicott was the main, like, supervisor of the Bajoran occupation. Mm. So he was he was overseeing that whole thing. So very complicated relationship there. But do they almost kind of have a romance at one point? Like it seems so fiery and so passionate at different points. Uh, it almost borders on that. Um, but then Kira can never really go through that. But they have a begrudging um, respect almost at times. But it's it's very, you know, goes back and forth a lot, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think what this show does is it shows that Nothing, as I said, is, is black and white. There, there are shades of gray to every situation. And the, the pilot itself sets that up where even Major Kira is like pissed off that Starfleet's there. It's like, oh, yeah, you, you're, you're here to aid us, right? We were just occupied and now Starfleet's here occupying us again once we got free. Like, this is bullshit. You got Quark, whose you know, nephew is stealing stuff. And it's like, well, he did steal. But what if we leverage that with keeping the bar here? Right. And Cisco's already kind right. of doing things that are non-regulation, let's say. And um, that's kind of the show. It's like bad guys can sometimes do good things or do bad things for the right reasons or good guys can wow. do bad things for the right reasons and vice versa. Totally. And I think uh, the, the major point is like there's no such thing as objective morality. There's like, you know, everyone's a shade of gray, you know, doing what they have to at times. Um, I also want to go back the to something you were talking about. Uniforms even turn gray at a certain point. Yeah. Ooh, um, do, yeah. But while this is all going on, obviously the, the stable wormhole opens up and there's these mysterious wormhole aliens that talk to Cisco oh, and no. only Cisco. So the Bajoran people see him as the emissary. He's like a religious prophet to them. He, uh, as a man of science, sees them as wormhole aliens. So there's a lot of questions of spirituality and, you know, religion versus atheism and, and all that going on as well. It's very interesting. I mean, we've seen themes of this even in the original series. I think it's who weeps for Adonis. Uh, the a Greek god Apollo they find in space. He's just like a super powerful being that happens to like being worshipped. So they went to Earth and then oh people God. forgot about him. So he left. So it's like the idea that maybe just a fourth dimensional being would be seen as a god to us. You know, significant technology far enough would seem like magic to to a lesser species. So yeah, their gods are just a fourth dimensional alien to Cisco, but he communicates with them. And it's this interesting kind of balance of of religious, I think, kind of inclusion, but also skepticism. It's it's a very fine line they managed to walk. Totally. And Cisco over time, kind of his, his beliefs change too. And he becomes more in tune with the Bajoran religion um, because he's, he's a, he's like, the you know the prophet muhammad of their religion but he doesn't believe in their god so it's like a very and then you have major kira his second in command who's a very religious bajoran so there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there 
Would you also say science versus art? Uh, you guys brought it up before. You've got Cisco as the captain. His son wants to be a writer. And then it seemed like some sort of other world episode where they're all on Earth and Captain Cisco gets a job writing sci-fi. It seemed like, does he sort of embrace um, that side a little bit at some there's, point? Yeah, there's one episode, uh, which is a really good episode. Beyond the Stars. Uh, f- far Beyond the Stars, where uh, Cisco is hallucinating, basically, that he is a sci-fi writer in the 1950s and he's writing a story called deep space nine um oh and it's about racism and stuff it's a really good episode <laughs> so too. star trek and it was directed by avery yeah. brooks too like incredible episode one of the best but it is funny that maybe, maybe yeah. that's how the idea got in his head because his son wanted to be a writer he has a hallucination of actually being the writer and the, the creator right. of that world and there's yeah it kind of like that episode in particular highlights one of my favorite things about ds9 Every Star Trek has the same sort of bits, right? Like, there's always going to be episodes where they go back in time, and it's, you know, either modern day or, or the 50s, or, you know, uh, TNG did, like, the Old West. There's always those elements. There's always going to be some sort of holodeck adventures. Um, DS9 has my favorite version of all of that. And, you know, Beyond the Stars is just such a great example of taking those those episodes where it's mostly set in either present day or, or a familiar time and and making it a Star Trek story still. Like, even the ones where they go to the 2020s and see the rebellions yes. in, on yeah. the West Coast. Like, Which pretty all much... All that hits really hard. Yeah, and that's kind of insinuated to that that rebellion kind of leads to Starfleet and what, you know, the world is And now. equal rights and equality wow. for everybody. You know, it's like it creates the, the utopic vision of Roddenberry. Um, what's interesting about this in context, too, that there's themes of war and morality and, and terrorism and this and that. You know, but this is coming out in the 90s. You know, we're in a pre-9-11 society here. So it's kind of oh, a long time in the U.S. It's basically peacetime for the U.S., right? We're, we're kind of chilling in the 90s. So to bring up yeah, these darker themes good. to remind us that, you know, war is shit for everybody. And to show that in a Star Trek show was like a big deal. Right. And I think that's a big reason why it was kind of unappreciated at its time. And my main thesis of this whole episode is to say, like, this show, had it came out now, I think would be way more watched and appreciated uh, because of, you know, how prestige TV is now with the season-long arcs and characters growing and changing from episode to episode and also the darker themes. Um, You know, for the 90s, like, it really was, you know, an an anomaly. Yeah, you know, you have... Terrorists turning into heroes. You have, you know, people defecting against, like turning against Starfleet to work for the bad guys. There's so much layers here. And again, in, in a largely a peacetime society that's used to seeing to boldly go and Captain Picard, it was, you know, night and day. Right. Yeah. And the, and the main conflicts in TNG are usually, you know, they go to some planet, uh, some other planet that's not part of the Federation and there's some kind of conflict going on there and it's up to Picard to like solve it using diplomacy. Now we're seeing, Oh, there's actually cracks within the Federation itself. Um, and once the dominion starts like invading that those cracks become more apparent. Yeah. I fe- And then we even have the, uh, sorry, we have the great episode of, um, in the pale moonlight, which is one of the best episodes in the series. Yes. Let's get in. Colin, are you familiar with the mythos of this at all? I am not. Joe, familiar with this mythos? 
I, I will be once again. Okay, get yeah, this is one of my favorites. Jacob, please. Uh, this is a great, great, one of the best episodes in all of Star Trek. Yeah. So this is, you know, during, uh, you know, the Dominion War has been going on for a little bit now. People are dying and Cisco is just getting so tired of seeing all these casualties. And they're trying to get the Romulans to join the war on the side of the Federation. So obviously, if you know anything about Star Trek, Romulans are longtime antagonists of the Federation. They're kind of like the Soviet Union to the Federation's America. There's been a Cold War kind of for years and years. Um, but now, you know, it's the Dominion are a threat to everyone in the Alpha Quadrant. So they're really trying to get the Romulans on their side. And Cisco has to do some, some things that aren't exactly, um, you know, ethically right to in order you know it's kind of the ends justify the means kind of thing right yeah so he ends up contacting that kardashian taylor who uh used to be a high level spy for the kardashians and they're basically trying to forge proof to show the romulans that the dominion's gonna roll on you guys you know as soon as they take you're you're gonna be fucked so they're trying to create an artificial like piece of evidence here so it's really feels like some cold war type stuff of like sabotage intrigue trying to get the romulans to side with us because whichever side the romulans pick that kind of could decide the whole war yeah so i mean yeah that's the short is it it eventually leads to deciding do we need to kill people (laughs) do we need to murder somebody to justify the to trick them into joining you know so they right and when i was looking for Sorry, get it. I was looking for clips to post for our notes to show you guys, and there's a great scene with Garrick and Cisco, where um, you know Garrick explains his philosophy of things and how you know if one Romulan senator is all it takes to you know end the war, then you know was that worth it? You know, Garrick thinks it is. Yeah, so. at the end of the day, Garrick murders the senator by blowing up his ship without telling Cisco. Cisco gets pissed, and it's like, yeah, yeah, we created, but it's like, look, we got him into the war, and all it cost was one senator's life, one criminal, and the self-respect of one Starfleet officer. I say that's a bargain, you know. Yeah, this does not sound like Star not Trek to me, guys. No, well, this, this is, is uh, fucking unique. You know, you put Picard in there. Picard would never do that, even if it did mean ending the war, because Picard. It just goes against what he, you know, he would try to find some other diplomatic way around it, but he wouldn't sully his, you know, honor by doing that, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. There's also an episode where uh, Cisco poisons the atmosphere of a planet to get a a defector to turn himself in, which I I think is even worse than two people getting murdered. Yeah, the whole Maquis storyline is very interesting, too, which is all set up for Voyager. Mm -hmm. And that gets into it more, too. But the Maquis are like a group of terrorists, basically, who are – there's settlements living in the Cardassian Federation neutral zone. And they need to move these people because Cardassia is reclaiming certain planets that they're living on. And they refuse to leave. And they're becoming terrorists, basically seen as terrorists by the Federation and Cardassia. And so um, – yeah, it's pretty interesting. Refuse to be relocated. It's, it's wild. So there's a lot of great episodes. Joe, is somebody else uh, who's seen a lot of these? What are what's like a standout episode for you? Uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna take it the total opposite way because as heavy <laughs> as Deep Space Nine is, it also absolutely nails the lighthearted episodes totally. um, that just kind of explore different cultures and things like that. Quark is another one of my favorite characters. And every episode where we learn more about the Ferengi culture, uh, I I adore (laughs) all of those episodes. So when we see the homeworld and we learn about Quark's mom, who is a woman, 
likes to wear clothes, Colin. Women aren't supposed to <laughs> wear clothes in that <laughs> no. culture. Right. So oh, no. um, the Ferengi, if you don't know, the Ferengi are a super capitalist, super misogynistic race where they don't allow females to wear clothes in public or make business decisions. Um, and it's all about acquiring wealth. They have the rules of acquisition yes. as their Bible. And it's all just business <laughs> rules. And it's a very sharp uh, critique and satire of capitalism, I think. Um, and yeah, so uh, sometimes the Deep Space Nine would just do these Ferengi-centric episodes, and they're great. And uh, I'm right there with you, Joe. Like, I love that stuff, too. Can I say, too, Ferengi Deep Bench? So, you know, watching this doc, you, you see all the actors getting interviewed. Like somebody, somebody like Leonard Nimoy, he looks the way that he looks inspires how all Vulcan, Vulcans look going forward, mm-hmm. right? Like Leonard Nimoy looks like an alien if you think about it. So everybody from then on, the gold standard is: can we line him up? How how close is he looking to Leonard Nimoy? The guy who plays Quark the Ferengi. Armin I knew Schimmerman. who he was immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Just from seeing him out of the prosthetics, I was like, I guarantee you that guy plays that <laughs> Ferengi. And I bet it's the same thing, right? The principal from Buffy, Colin. No way. Really? Is that true? That's crazy. It's, uh, yeah. And, you know, in the notes, Jacob put some other stuff. We were talking about the, the deep bench that there's episodes with a ton of Ferengi. Wallace Shawn, character actor Wallace Shawn mm-hmm. playing Princess one. Bride, go, what's up? How was he a regular on a fucking Star yeah. Trek TV show? And I didn't know that. One of the best. And he's like their uh, their president. Yeah. Too, so they're uh, Grand like funny episodes with him. And uh, yeah, he's on a bunch of the Ferengi episodes and he's like one of the best reoccurring guest stars that they have. But Wallace Shawn, who uh, ironically is actually like an outspoken socialist. So to make him the president of the super capitalist society is very funny, too. Um, but he actually ends up in a relationship with Quark's mom and Quark's mom is like the liberalizing force on their government. And over time they make uh, changes to their, their government. And actually the show to spoil a little bit ends with Rom Quark's brother becoming the new grand Grand Nagus and, uh, implementing a new a bunch of new rules about um you know wow. yeah, and he's got a bajoran wife you know he's very progressive as well like one of the Davo yes, girls of, uh, she's a, she's a cutie good job rom you know which leads me to one of my personal favorite episodes a very light-hearted fun episode uh where rom who works for his brother quark and is kind of seen as like the stupid one throughout the show is actually shown to have like a lot of complexity and depth to him and he decides they're going to start a union and so it's basically an episode where um, it's Rom discovering labor rights. And obviously, <laughs> oh Ferengis God. are super anti-union, right? So it's an amazing episode. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we get uh, Chief O'Brien. Oh, my great-grandfather was a union man. And uh, O'Brien and Worf actually have disagreements over labor. So yeah, yeah. Worf very doesn't fun like stuff. The, uh, the labor union. Cole Meany, you always have to have the you know great foreigner in the engine room on Star Trek, right? right. I, I love seeing him pop. He loves playing Colmini. darts, you know, as uh, Irish people do, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> great Irish actor Colm Meany, and I want to mention my grandmother knew him. Oh no, so, kidding! Oh, wow, weird. Well, let me yeah. um, throw my favorite Ferengi moment out there because they they were first uh, they were supposed to be the new Klingons for TNG. They were in the first season. They didn't really stick, so they, this show really right. revitalized them and made them a fun species. But uh, I like li- same actor same. though. Like the first Ferengi is really cool. it's Armin Shimmerman. Just uh, back. That's 
because Gal Dukat. Oh yeah, Ryan and Mark Alamo. Yeah, um, played a Cardassian in Next Generation. Who not tortured Gal Picard. It wasn't Gal Dukat. It was Gal oh, Locke or something. But same actor. Yeah, you see that a lot. Even the guy who plays Wei Yun is an Andorian in Enterprise and a bunch of series. Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, he plays Wei Yun mean, and there. Brunt. Mm-hmm. You've yeah. got twenty feet of makeup on your face. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's got to be fun to play a bunch of different aliens. But um, yeah, uh, my That's cool. I like uh, Little Green Men basically. All the Ferengi go through a slip time. They go back to 1950s U.S. and they get captured. To Roswell. Yeah, they get taken to Roswell. Yeah. What? They get, so they, they're they the Roswellians and they're like just saying, they're seeing humans smoking. They're like, what does that smell? It's like, <laughs> it's a poison. It's like they do it on purpose and they're like, if these humans will poison themselves willingly, we could take over in no time. <laughs> yeah. And actually, Quark oh, wants to stay good. in that time period because he thinks he can make a bunch of money. He's like, we'll sell you a bunch of weapons or we'll take them to the Russians if you don't give us a good price. <laughs> He's like doing all this shit. I want to bring this point up real quick because we, we've now mentioned two episodes that involve time travel, things like that. Joe said before, there are staples of Star Trek episodes, what it means, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I was so taken watching the writer's room of Deep Space Nine all sit down, break story, figure out how they're doing stuff that you get to see in this documentary. Do you think oh, yeah. you guys could? A serialized space show. If I had a month, I could come up with one idea for one episode. <laughs> How many Star Trek episodes are there per season? Well, there's 179, yeah, I like think, of this show. Yeah. Oh, my God. Total. Jesus Christ. Does it So, fidelity-wise, does it feel fresh the whole season, the whole run? Does it, does it feel like quality control is there? I mean, there? like any Star Trek show, I think there's the, there's the less good episodes. Uh, to compare it to Next Generation, I think the Next Generation highs are the highest, but I think overall... Uh, Deep Space Nine has a higher level of consistency because there's some really bad Next Generation episodes, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. They're kind of more hit or miss. Uh, so I think the consistency overall is better in Deep Space Nine. Joe, do you agree or disagree with that? You're you're more D- Deep Space Nine, right? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Like, Except I don't know, the highs being the highs, that's still arguable to me. Like, It depends on what you're looking for. Like, If you want to watch Patrick Stewart chew some scenery and have some like really big moments. Measure of a man. You don't get, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like you don't get that as much in um, in DS9, but if you're looking for a really killer ensemble, you're, you're going to get that more out of DS9. And, like even instead of looking at the highs, I look at the lows, right? Like I would rather watch them play baseball in Deep Space Nine <laughs> than watch like Leonardo da Vinci in, uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, or voice skin or, of evil. Or, uh, oh, yeah, God. Like, like, wow. When they've like, made an I'd internet rather, troll. I would take the lows. Yeah. I, yeah, I would take the lows of DS9 yeah. over the lows of any other show. Mm. Well, to take it back to you, I was going to say this up top, but my history with Star Trek. So when we did our first general Star Trek episode, I was a complete Star Trek normie. Uh, I had, you know, not really seen any of them, wasn't that into it. Because of that episode, I started watching TNG, got really into that. Then I started watching Deep Space Nine. And in the summer of 2019, I broke my collarbone, right? Mm-hmm. I had to have surgery. I was laid up for like a couple weeks. Um, 
And that was during when I was watching Deep Space Nine. So I was literally laying in bed, recovering from surgery, watching, uh, just binge watching Deep Space Nine. And that's what really made me fall in love with the show. And even going back to episodes now, it's like going back to see old friends. And Uh. it's it's just, um, so I have a really special place in my heart for that show. And I think uh, that's part of why I love it so much. And um, I just think that consistency is really good. Yeah, I mean, I think the sum of its parts is, you know, greater, you know, than the whole is that the saying, you know, because of the ensemble being so strong. Um, the thing that's interesting when I think about Deep Space Nine, because it is my second favorite, my favorite episodes of it are generally ones that feel like standalones, you know, that aren't major parts of the big arc, like something like the Trouble with Tribbles, where it's a one shot where they go yes. back to the original series. Incredible, right? Trials and that tribulations. Is, that is my, um, yeah, that is my, yeah. that is where I start my rewatches always. Um, so to, trials like, and tribulations. It's just one of those episodes. Yeah, it's one of those episodes where like, I've seen the whole show like four times at this point, right? So if I'm not going to watch the whole show from episode one to the end, and I just kind of want to like dive in, that's the point I use because it immediately has that Star Trek fun energy. It's so nostalgic for like every element of Star Trek. Uh, and you're already like in the thick of it. I think it's like mid season four. Mm-hmm. So everyone already has their relationships. Worf's already on the show. That is oh, like my favorite. Yeah. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to watch more D- DS9. That's where I yep, get yep. Right. And explain to Colin what this show is um, or this episode. <laughs> Trials yeah. and Tribulations. They go basically they go back in time to an episode of the original series and using technology they're actually inserted into original series oh, scenes in yeah. a really cool way. It's back to the Future 2, Colin. Yeah, Back to the Future sure. 2. So, yeah. If you've ever seen the little fuzzy yeah. Tribbles. The Tribbles. Tribbles. The tribbles are one of those things. You know, my dad, having watched the 60s series, has it like, well, you know, Tribbles, that's an iconic Star Wars thing. I have for right. sure seen that episode. So they wow. go yeah. back and in get- time and are like doing antics. In that episode. Yeah, like you get Bashir and O'Brien in the lineup for, you know, when there's a bar fight with Klingons. And then you have the old school Klingons without the foreheads. And then Worf has to be like, uh, we, don't we don't talk, talk about, about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, interesting. Amazing. So yeah. that's a great one. Two, uh, two other random ones I want to mm-hmm. throw out. One, um, any any Sopranos fans? You guys like The Sopranos? Love right? The Sopranos. Just yeah. started it. But, it's a great show. Yeah. Uh, so the episode where um, Paulie and Christopher are running through the woods trying to kill the Russian. Yes. The episode where Quark and Odo are stuck on the mountain. Uh-huh. It's the same episode oh. of television, and totally. I love it. Oh, 100%. Quark and Odo have this Batman and the Joker, like, love-hate thing going yeah. on. <laughs> because Quark yeah. is uh, always trying to get into schemes Grip and stuff, someone, and Odo is profit, the uh, law chief and order. Security. He says this line in the pilot, you haven't uh, caught me as a thief in four years, or, or you haven't proven I'm a thief in four years. So you do get that. It's that Tom and Jerry energy that I, I fucking just yeah. drill right into. Yeah. yeah. It, so there's an episode where they are just trapped on the side of a mountain together right. and like bickering over who's going to get to wear the one coat that they have <laughs> or like who's going to get the half a ration bar. A little bottle episode. Uh, and just, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like the classic things like that. And then the other one I wanted to bring up, because you said the the standalone yeah, episodes, yeah. Mike, are like your favorites. The episode where we find out Dr. Julian Bajir is like kind of a mutant, yeah. kind of yeah. like a laboratory experiment. Really weird standalone episode that affects the mythos greatly. Uh, Colin, the context here is 
it turns out this really smart character, Dr. Julian, uh, Julian Bernier, was uh, like experimented on as a kid to make him smarter. Yeah, he was and, given like, that, that technology is illegal. Yeah, he was given illegal genetic enhancements. Uh, unbeknownst to him until then, his parents did it without his knowledge. Um, but technically, he shouldn't even be in Starfleet. You're not allowed to join if you have those illegal enhancements and stuff. So it's very interesting. And then they have that group of like super smart people that are like all like autistic or something. Um, oh, no. Very interesting episode. Yeah. It wasn't that. Yeah, they're, they're like the autistic X-Men. Like they're all so on the wow. spectrum that they have like essentially superpowers. And isn't this yeah. the same eugenics technology that was banned because of the eugenic wars that led to the Wrath of Khan and all of that? I was about to say, exactly. that's what yeah, Khan was. Yeah. Singh. He's, yeah, the, he's right. a product of all that stuff, too. Exactly. And isn't Dr. Bahir sort of, I guess I would say the same race probably implied. Well, wow. he's, well, he's a human. That, that, he that was... scientific experiments, yeah, of a human being genetically ah. modified. Yeah. Yes. He plays Raja Ghoul on uh, Gotham. Oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, he was in Game of Thrones, too. Yeah, it starts out um, as a little bit, a uh, little bit of a creeper uh, in the early seasons on the ladies. Yeah, so. they kind of made him like a ladies' man. Like it was the '90s. Like a lot of things haven't aged from that era very well. But uh, he's a little Some pushy. Uncle Jesse energy. Yeah, him, he, could, him, he could be a little pushy trying to get dates, but they make him a better. He character gets better time. by the end, and and they all do, um, I think. But yeah, those some of those standalones. I forgot about that one. That's a great reference, Joe. Well, introduction of a character Joe said that I want to know your guys' opinion on, because to me as an outsider, it seems like, again, this show was not doing as well as TNG. Maybe TNG was off this air, the air at some point. Worf, is that is that the, you know, the character you throw on to hope that it boosts the ratings? That's exactly right, Colin. So um, <laughs> first two seasons, TNG was airing simultaneously. Then Voyager started airing the third season. So there was never a time when Deep Space Nine was the only Star Trek show at the time. But um, in order to boost ratings, they they did bring Worf on, but in a way that made sense because of the Klingon relations. Basically, he comes on to be like a Klingon liaison officer because the Klingons are allying with the Federation. Um, but similar to Voyager, they brought on Seven of Nine to like spice things up in the fourth season as well. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And you get Barkley and Troy for name value in Voyager. But what I like about Worf, and this is another one of those one-offs, I think it's Way of the Warrior, where he yes. goes on the, the trip to recover the sword of Kaless. Kaless is like the Viking god of Klingons. They want to find the ancient sword. So there's an old grizzled warrior. Worf goes along with them. And they like see like a small rodent or something, and it's scared away. So the grizzled Klingon warrior, they're sitting around the fire, being like, and then the beast with twelve arms, you know. And then Wolf's <laughs> like, but that is not how it happened. And then it's like, come on, lighten up. And I like the idea that because Worf was raised by humans, he's such like a Klingon nerd that he almost takes it more seriously than native Klingons do, right? Yeah. He's like the stick wow. in the mud. He's like a weeboo yeah. for yeah. Um, Klingons. You know, being right, exactly. Being human so, race, yeah. so seeing him around actual Klingons a lot more, you see it a little bit in DS9, but there's a lot of good moments for that here. And it's always good to see Worf um, and his whole thing with uh, Jadzia, you know, because Dax is like 300 years old and has all this worldly knowledge and also, you know, knows Klingon right. stuff. And we didn't cool. even talk about Dax yet, but um, that whole relationship, they weren't even planning to do that, but they just thought their chemistry worked so well that they ended up doing that. Worf almost gets more character growth on DS9 than he did on TNG. He got some on TNG as well. I don't want to diminish TNG. Well, the other main thing is his fatherhood. I mean, Colin, before I jump in here, you going to ask him? 
Well, I was I was getting very turned on by the, you just threw out the term Dax there. Now, is this mm-hmm. the character who says, "Well, I of course have a symbiote inside me, and I am a consciousness <laughs> yes. that has been passed on for so, hundreds of years, or whatever." Mm-hmm. Exactly. Wow, Star did Trek that crush. blow my mind? <laughs> that- so the Trill are a symbiote relationship or uh, species that have a um, basically a slug thing in their stomach. That's the Dax part. So Jadzia is the humanoid part. Dax has lived as both men and women several lives previous to her. And um, even Jadzia dies in DS9 and they bring Dax back as Ezri Dax. Um, so Dax's Whoa. previous form was Curzon Dax, who was actually Captain Sisko's mentor. And it was an older man. So Sisko calls Jadzia Dax old man as like a term of endearment. Um, so very cool ideas there as well. Yeah, that very, is very cool. cool, interesting ideas. Every character that was introduced with these complex gimmicks, just every single one of them, I go, wow, they are more interesting than the last. But beyond that, you know, seeing some like the Ferengi raising children, the fact that some people on the ship are divorced, married, have kids. There's these incredible human elements where I go like, wow, that's interesting, too. It seems like such a, a juggling act to balance it all. Yeah, I mean, some episodes are two best friends hanging out at a bar, like arguing over a dark game, and then other episodes are like space battle, dogfight, war. <laughs> yeah, great uh, war. You, you, DS Nine will give you a little bit of everything, uh, wow. including something that we didn't get in TNG that I was dying for: the mirror universe. Like we yes. actually go there and we actually get it with like. Kinky Kira, who's like, you know, like the evil version of her. Whatever you're yeah. evil like in Star every- Trek, you get kinkier. That's the that's yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> you get a little goatee. So like a sex demon when you're on <laughs> yeah, the other yeah. side of the world. So the mirror universe, which was started uh, in the original the main series. universe is very prudish is all I'm saying. If it's the inverse. Mirror, but, mirror. Yeah. That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, TNG did not do the mirror universe ever, but it was started in the original series. And uh, they bring it back in, TN- in Deep Space Nine. And those episodes are a lot of fun. Um, because everyone's, you know, mirror copy is like totally different that all the actors get to ham it up in really fun ways. Trying to betray Um, each other and backstab and it's like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's great. It's a big Uh, what if kind of arc. Totally. Yeah. And so I love those time, time travel episodes, uh, mirror universe, hologram, you know, hologram, hollow suite episodes. Yeah. You get some James Bond mysteries in the hollow suite stuff and baseball, as Joe has said a couple of times. And baseball. Yes. And a lounge singer who joins the cast for <laughs> a little bit. What is his name? Bit. Vic Fontaine. Vic Fontaine. Yes. Yeah. Vic Fontaine. Yeah, dog. Great. Yeah. Vic Fontaine, who's a lounge singer that um, Julian Bashir has a program that's like a Vegas in the 60s kind of thing. But yeah. but Vic Fontaine is like better than normal holograms. Like he knows things that other holograms don't. Like he knows he's a hologram and stuff. And he actually helps. And he's like cool people with, with their it. issues. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's like the Fonz of holograms, where wow. he's just like, right. hey, buddy, I'm gonna like solve your problem. Like he helps Nog get yeah. over like PTSD. I was gonna mention one of yeah. one of my favorite episodes is Nog who joins Starfleet. Nog is. The Quark's child nephew. who was caught stealing in the first episode, and the pilot, little boy. Yeah, he. So, so obviously, Jake Cisco, um, Ben, Captain Ben Cisco, he wants his son to join Starfleet. He just wants to be a writer. Instead, it's Nog, his friend, who wants to join Starfleet. First Ferengi to ever join Starfleet, by the way. Wow. And uh, during the Dominion War, he's in a big battle. He loses his leg, and he comes back to Deep Space Nine. 
and he has PTSD. And Vic Fontaine, this lounge singer hologram, helps him work through his PSD, PTSD issues. It's a great yeah, episode. It's amazing. It's wild. Again, I, I take it back. When I'm like, it must be hard to write these episodes. I guess you can just be like, eh, this one's a James Bond movie, or this one's about you a lounge singer. You can say singer. anything, Colin. And like, that's the joy of DS9. And the reason I think it would be your, your Star Trek show mm, is because yeah. you really do get a little bit of everything. And there's still, like, plenty of action. You want to watch them go out and, like, take a ship on an adventure. The Defiant is yeah. one of the coolest ships in Star Trek. So they add the I, think Defiant. You, I think this is the one for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the third season, they add the Defiant, which is a smaller ship than, like, the Enterprise and those kind of ships. But it's it's basically built to fight the Dominion. So it has a ton of firepower that the normal ships don't have. And basically that gives them a way to go different places using that ship. Um and it's a big part of the war, but just the the um, the serial arc. So at, at in season six is the actual Dominion War arc. Season five ends on a cliffhanger of the Dominion and Cardassia taking over the station, and the crew has to leave and retreat. They all have to and, evacuate off of Deep Space Nine. You're home for yes. five seasons now, except for Kira and Odo, who are non Federation. They are now. Um, kind of being collaborators. And that's a big problem for Kira, obviously, being a collaborator. She used to be a freedom fighter, so she's very conflicted about it. Um, and the first, like, six episodes of season six are a continuous story of the Dominion War. And to see something like that in a 90s TV show hadn't really been done before. No. Um, but today, like, that's kind of normal to have, you know, episodes flowing into each other like that. Well, and even you mentioned Nog loses his leg and has PTSD. It's like things things have consequence and matter, whereas in TNG or something, someone will have a traumatic event happen, um, like being assaulted by a ghost, let's like, say, and then they're yeah. totally fine the next <laughs> yeah. right. Or lose a child in yeah. the next episode. It's like yeah. we don't even talk about it. Or the, the mother of your child is dead, and then you just send him to live with your Russian surrogate parents and never talk about him yeah. again. Yeah. So yeah, you can watch any, bio- <laughs> any TNG. Alexander yeah. does come back. Yeah, Alexander even comes back in DS9, which is really cool. Consequences um, for things matter in, in DS9. Right. Things, even, even standalone episodes, change. if a character goes through a growth or a change in that episode, it's reflected in later episodes. The only time I can remember TNG really doing this is Best of Both Worlds and the episode after that where uh, Picard visits his brother on Earth and is like going through a lot of shit. That's like that, the one time I can remember them doing it. And that. Lieutenant What do you Barclay? mean? He plays the flute forever. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. yeah. But um, seeing that is cool. And whenever I see Nog, Nog is a great character, too. And, and unfortunately, the actor who played him passed away. Um, yes, when I was Aaron playing, Eisenberg, yeah. as well as uh, Rene Auberjonois, have both passed away in 2019. Oh, wow. Very sad yeah. about that. They both do incredible jobs. But I was playing the Star Trek Online game, which is terrible. But what's great yeah. is you pop in in one of the first transmissions, this is Captain Nog. And it's like, you made it to Captain, hey. and it's canon. He did. He did. The it. first right. Ferengi yeah. ever in Starfleet. It's like, And even in it. the uh, documentary, right, they're talking about, oh, if we did a season eight, bringing back DS9, where would it go? And they start off with Captain Nog uh, returning to DS9. So very cool. Very cool. I thought that was so cool, man. Yeah. Um, yeah that's great. And, uh, but also speaking of Worf again, uh, if they if they never brought Worf into this show, they we, we wouldn't have gotten uh, General Martok and all this stuff with the Klingons. Like the Klingons get really expanded on in DS Nine as well with Gowron, Martok, uh, and Martok ends up uh, adopting 
Worf into his family because you know Worf has a lot of issues with his father being seen as like a traitor and stuff, son of Moog and all that. Um, so there's just a lot of world building done in this show that I think is underappreciated. For probably you know? more different species have all of their kind of lore and backstory and beliefs right. and societies fleshed out in DS9 than any other wow. type of Star Trek media, yeah. for sure. And oh, yeah. You'll even see the the regular at the bar who's just in the Morn. background Morn. of a bunch of shots yeah. gets a whole episode all about oh, him. Yeah. Come like, on, this guys. Show has so everything. good. Morn, his whole bit is that he never speaks in the show, but the characters are always talking about how he doesn't shut up, basically. Ah. Yeah, and he's basically Norm from yes. Cheers. Sure. You know, because he's always at the bar, but yeah, he never... They'll start keeps... a scene with, like, people laughing at a joke he just told. It's, like, very <laughs> funny. he doesn't bit. say anything. He's always got That's dates. So like, man, that morning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, three species in particular I'm thinking of were introduced in TNG, but really fleshed out in DS9. Ferengi, Bajorans, and Cardassians, all introduced in TNG. We even had Ensign Roe. In TNG, a Bajoran, right? That's right. She um, didn't last long, but yeah, they introduced and fun the fact, And Trill get kind of expanded here, too. Oh, Trill, yeah. But yeah. Um, Mike, I don't know if you know this, but Major Kira was originally supposed to be Ensign Roe, but the actress didn't want to do it, so they wrote a new character. Really? So they were going to yeah. bring Ensign Roe to be the Bajoran because she was already in Starfleet. Exactly. I think it's a better choice that it was someone from Bajor who fought uh, in the war. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It adds to the complexity. Like it definitely, I mean, that's the one thing about DS9 that will always stand out is like, you know, we've talked a lot about how Star Trek, it's, it's easy. They're little moral plays. Like there's mm-hmm. literally an episode where people are half white and half black. Mm-hmm. No, like <laughs> <Yep>. DS9 <laughs> is about the gray. Yeah, yes. absolutely. I mean, wow. for me watching the pilot episode to the last episode, pilot episode, we're looking at Kira. She hates Kardashians. The Kardashians are the villains. And then by the end, the Kardashians themselves have even allied with the Federation to overthrow the Dominion who are going to take them over. And now it's like even some of the bad guys are working. Like Kira is fighting with Kardashians on their own revolution against the Dominion. It's crazy. And we get the character of Damar who starts as just like an assistant to Gul Dukat and it ends up being a big part of, uh, you know, the Kardashians and everything. So the, the cast of side characters is really amazing too. Um, just the amount of characters they're able to flesh out and they're just all so well written uh, that the universe just feels so much bigger than it ever does, does bef- did before. Um, yep. If I can highlight another uh, favorite episode of mine, The Visitor, which is a uh, episode all about the father-son relationship between Captain Sisko and Jake Sisko. Basically, there's a uh, uh, teleporter accident and uh as there are you know yeah all the time i would but, never use a yeah, teleporter it happens. sometimes it gives you a clone riker you know shit happens right. nope. yeah. never but, <laughs> i would never use it yeah but captain cisco cisco basically becomes unstuck in time where he comes into existence for a few moments every couple years or so meanwhile jake cisco what? his son is aging yeah it's disappears. a whole story about um basically he lives his whole life and you know every 10 years or so his father might come into existence and he can talk to him. And adult Cisco is played by Tony Todd, who you might know from the Candyman wow, series. He course. plays Candyman. Fun fact here about Tony Todd, he's actually played three Star Trek characters. Adult Jake Cisco, he also plays Worf's brother Kern, and he played uh, a character in Voyager. Uh, there's like a uh, predator kind of species, and he played one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but this episode, 
great father son uh, relationship episode. Um, Jake Sisso grows up to be a writer, successful writer, and it's just a very emotional uh, episode. So check that one out as well. It's like Interstellar. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. we we talked about it a little bit earlier too. Like the families on the ship. I think Joe mentioned it, but like um, there, there's all these dynamics showing the father son relationship between say Jake and. Uh, Benjamin, but then you have Worf, who literally kept abandoning Alexander any chance he got, and then Alexander has such like abandonment issues. He joins the Klingon military to fight in the war because he doesn't know what the hell else to do. And it's like, yeah, yeah, Dad, maybe if you threw threw a baseball with me, like like Benjamin does, it wouldn't you know be in this situation. But the way they explore family dynamics, like you don't have families on TNG really. It's just Miles and Keiko, and that's it, right? Yeah, relationships, you see more, but not families. Right, and you even see more of Keiko and their daughter in this show, and then Alexander, who's just a kid in TNG. Now you see him as a young adult, and uh, his dynamic with Worf. So yeah, it's really interesting. I guess yeah, if Star Trek to you is exploring and diplomatic politics stuff, then yeah, it's TNG, which that's kind of where where my jam is. But this show literally expands every single other part of the Star Trek universe. <laughs> Right. And the, the, again, to go back to my thesis, like not only the season long arcs are more modern thing, but also just the connected universe thing, which obviously is more popular now than ever. Um, it really feels like DS nine did more for the Trek universe than any other show in, in world building. Hmm. Mm. It's almost like, uh, you know, what we leave behind is what really matters in the there end. There you go. Yeah, right? so um, Normies, check out the documentary about DS9 that they made just a couple years ago. You can watch it on YouTube movies for free. Um, really interesting. They go into all the behind-the-scenes details and stuff, and it's really, really interesting watch. Yeah, I highly recommend it as well. It just came out recently. It was crowdfunded, I believe, too. So fans really wow. have come around on, on this series. Um Again, you know, now that it's hit yeah. streaming and everything, it really has kind of had a resurgence and, and a new set of appreciation. Totally. And to, too. yeah, and with, with streaming being a th- such a thing now, like that really led to the resurgence because imagine trying to watch this show in the 90s where you just had to catch it at the time that it was on on TV or else you didn't see it, you know? And if you miss an episode of TNG, big deal. We're just right. going to be back just on the ship. The right, watch the next one. This, you might miss a major plot point. That's, that's not great. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, um, uh, go ahead. Well, uh, the best is yet to come. Maybe it's time to talk our uh, final thoughts. It's me, Vic Fontaine. That's uh, hey, oh, Mac, <laughs> what are you doing? You rolling my butt? hologram. When the world is cold, I will feel a glow just thinking of. And the way you look tonight. <laughs> I love that Jacob was like, I don't, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. Yeah. Mike and I just both went, hey, oh, oh, <laughs> Vic oh, Fontaine. Hey, hey, hey. Vic Fontaine. Some people aren't that big of a fan of Vic Fontaine, though, because he... 
How could you not be? Because <laughs> he kind of comes in in like the seventh season and he's like the subject of a lot of episodes in the last season and people are like, who's this guy? It, it's like they added a talking shark to the end. Should we just start putting Jabberjaw in this thing? And some guy yeah, it really, like, it it really is the Jabberjaw. And, and then they also bring in Esri Dax in the last season and people are like, that's the one most people don't like. I'm sure about her. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that because Jedzia Dax was like forever my my Star Trek crush. So like when she is, is great, she seems great. Feral. Well, and a, a little with a spider yeah. inside her. And she a little seems sad great. story about that is she actually left the show partially because of like sexism on the part of Rick Berman, the um, producer. So a lot of you know stuff going the on scenes. there. But I guess they, yeah, she didn't feel totally comfortable on set, so that's not good. And Ugh. fucking nineties, um, yeah. man. Even now, get it together. Everyone making media. Get it together. Yes. All right? Stop. Stop making people feel bad. Or I'll send Vic Fontaine. That's right. He's a hologram. You can't kill him. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm going to give my final thoughts first. I'm just going to get it out there. Uh, We just spent an hour talking about this show, which just reaffirmed my belief. Like, yeah, I think this is absolutely my favorite Star Trek. And Colin, I think it is the Star Trek for you because it's, both the least Star Trek and the most Star Trek at the same time. So there are going to be certain elements once you reach the end where you're like, I just want to watch more dumb buddies hanging out on like a fantasy world. Okay, now I can get into the idea of, you know, uh, Data and Geordi pretending to be Sherlock Holmes. Like that, oh, that doesn't God. seem as foreign to me now because I've seen it in this other setting that I like. Uh, you do have to get through a Rumpelstiltskin episode. That does happen. <laughs> but just keep rolling with it. Because like any Star Trek show, it does take a bit to get going. But once you're into like season two, you're going to fall in love with every single character of the show. It's truly impossible to pick a favorite. Totally. And on the subject of the cast, like I agree with you, Joe. Like this cat, It would pretty much be, for me, the whole cast of this show... Plus Data, Picard, and Seven of Nine, and the Doctor, maybe. But um, as much as I like the TNG cast, and I do, I don't think there's even a weak link um, in that other than maybe Wesley Crusher. But uh, when you think about the relationship between the cast, like, you can do, like, you know, Bashir and O'Brien, Bashir and Kira, like, Cisco and Kira, like there's so many different combinations. There's of relationships. no bad pairs. Yeah. Whereas, like and in you TNG, could you could be like, together. "Oh, Data and Doctor Crusher. What do they talk about? What do they have in common?" Like, it's <laughs> not as fleshed out, you know. Um, as much as I, and I don't want to diminish TNG at all because I'm a big fan of that show as well too. But I have to agree with Joe that DS9 is my favorite Star Trek, and I think it's it's a great it's a great show. All right. Well, you know, TNG to me is. The ultimate, you know, it's the terminus of the Roddenberry vision of Star Trek, where we're exploring, we're doing diplomacy, we're trying to be good people. There's generally no suffering amongst the crew members, you know, interpersonally, you know, more or less, you know, it's, it's this utopia in the future. Um, so if that's Star Trek, you know, that's it. But if you like more realistic take at the gray, right, more nuanced take, then DS9 is where it, where it's at. And I think um, it says it on the pilot when Cisco is trying to explain humanity to the fourth dimensional wormhole aliens with with a baseball, and he's like, "It's it's a linear existence. If I throw this ball, a million things can happen." And then it's like, "But it's not linear because you exist in your past where you lost your wife and you have this trauma, right?" 
And so that kind of idea, it's like what we left behind, what the show leaves behind is like, you can always jump into a specific episode or an arc. Like, thankfully, existence isn't linear. So if you have memories of this, you can always go back to them. And if you haven't been there yet, well, that doesn't mean that's impossible. So just jump in and check it out because it does expand the universe in, you know, a lot of interesting ways, especially if you bumped up against the original series or TNG, this is probably the ideal place to go if you wanted to give it another shot, I would say. And I just want to add that, um, reiterate what I said before, I probably should have saved that for the final thoughts, but this place will always just have a special, the show will always have a special place in my heart because I just I will always just remember recovering from surgery, just, you know, on drugs, watching this show for <laughs> like eight hours a day, um, because I couldn't move and just falling in love with it. And so anytime I watch an episode, it's just like coming back to old friends and I love it. So thanks for talking Snapping about it along with me, guys. to Vic Fontaine. You're, you're in Quark's place. You're having <laughs> fun. Sure, I can see that. Man. I would love to go to Quark's bar in real life. And I think there actually is like a Quark's bar, like franchise in, in Vegas or something. No so. way. We got to go once we get yeah. some vaccines. Right. Yeah. Can we uh can we do a round of Collins questions? I got a couple mm-hmm. things that Go I just want to hit yeah. you guys up to be like, what is going on in this? So <laughs> Absolutely. Jerry Ryan, she's her seven and nine, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Or whatever. She's she eleven is. out of nine in my book. Is she the <laughs> Oh Mike? <laughs> is she the only Borg who is a part of uh the Federation? At first, but not um eventually there's more. If you follow the Picard, are there any that are uh, more like Locutus, where they've got the apparatus eye, you know? And yeah, and they all have different them? levels really? of bio enhancements that they can't take them all out when they remove them because they'll die. But basically, Seven of Nine is the first like successful Borg to human retransition from Voyager. Wow. But basically, in Voyager, they're in the Delta Quadrant, so they're like thousands, hundreds of thousands of light years from Earth. And they're trying to get back home, and they're going. Voyager is lost space. in space. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I got gotcha. you. But, like but trying to get the back Delta home. Quadrant is where the Borg is from. So they go through all this Borg space. There's a lot of Borg-centric episodes in Voyager, and Seven of Nine, who I think is a great character, she really becomes the focus of the show in a way that, you know, like some characters like Chakotay kind of get less to do Chakotay. because of that. I do want to know about Chakotay. <laughs> if you guys were aliens, or I guess if you were on Star Trek, would you want to be a human, or is there a race or species you would want to be? Mm. Trill all the way, baby. You know, Trill? you would want to be Joe. You would yeah. want to have one of them thingamabobs inside you. <laughs> yeah. Is it voluntary? Well, Are those people humans? It's, you have to be they're... special for it. You have to be wow. like, strong enough. Yeah, you get selected. There's more applicants than there are um, slugs available, and it's a big honor if you get yeah. chosen. What? Yeah. And there's actually but an I episode love the idea where of like uh, an immortal being inside of a, a human host that you have like all of that knowledge. I played a little bit of the terrible Star Trek online game and my uh you know Commander Jasta James was uh, an old man <laughs> trill. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yes. So James would be the trill part, so after Jasta dies, the James part would get <laughs> wow. to a different body. Damn. Um I tried to play that Star Trek game. Could not get it to load on my computer and gave up oh, after about so six hours. Oh, it's so buggy. Yeah. It was so buggy and so bad. But, man, I just love Star Trek. I had to try it out. Yeah. Picking a species. Uh, but Colin, Colin's questions. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Do you do you guys know what would you want to be, Mike and Mike and Jacob? When I played the game, I picked Andorians because I have a soft spot for Enterprise with Scott Bakula, and they got the blue antennas and white. Also hair. played by Jeffrey oh, okay. Combs. Yes. Yeah, okay. Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey Combs, all-star actor who played a Ferengi from, and a from Frighteners and from yes. uh, from uh, Reanimator. Joe, I was so shocked to see him popping up. There's so many character yeah. actors in Star Trek. He plays Trek. two roles in DS9. Everybody, man. And um, it's hilarious because he plays a Ferengi and a Vorta. Um, so he's wearing different prosthetics. And an Andorian in Enterprise. But yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't want to be them, though, because they're like super paranoid and they don't trust anybody. No. <laughs> yeah. Right. Don't forget, I mean, Iggy Pop shows up. That's in this. right. Yeah. Iggy Pop what? plays a Vorta in an episode. It's great. Um, the M- Magnificent Ferengi, which is a Magnificent Seven with all Ferengi. That's amazing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I um, don't know if I like the Ferengi. <laughs> but Jacob, what about your speeches? No, you grow to like them. I would definitely not want to be a Ferengi. Uh, I'd like to say Vulcan because I think they're like the mm. best species, but well, um, I don't think I'm that logical. That species. So seems like you'd be a Romulus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just based on that. I think objectively the Vulcans are the best. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Wow. I mean, they have weaknesses too, but you know, they're sometimes too logical. But the pond far the enlightened. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, but I would probably be a Vulcan. Okay. Do you guys have a favorite ship? I know you introduced that. You said in the third season it gets a little mobile on this one. I was kind of when watching that first one, I was like, how is there action every week outside of what's happening on the satellite? If it's just a town people are staying at. But that makes sense that they do get some way to travel about more. Yeah, they get the Defiant, and then there's runabouts. So they're always, which are like little shuttle ships. So they're always taking runabouts out. Um, they're all named after rivers. Out. You got the Rio Grande, yeah. the Yangtze. Oh, yeah, exactly. Is um, the Defiant your guys' favorite? I love the Defiant. Defiant yeah, is very my cool. Favorite ship. Of, of all, and Star then you Trek? see a lot of other ships. You see Cardassian ships. You see Klingon birds of prey and stuff. So. Um, there's big space battles like, uh, you know, never before seen on Star Trek too. And, uh, with the kind of re, uh, enhancement that the show is going through, it it looks really cool. And this is also the last show to do primarily models instead of CGI. Hey man, you know, the CGI effects, whether or not it's just because it's the pilot, which again, normies, if you're like me and you haven't seen any of these, Let's say you're going through and you're just watching random Star Trek movies, you know, the the con- first contact generations, any of those ones. Throw on this pilot. It's an hour and a half. That's a movie. It could just be a standalone thing that you just watch for Star Trek. Right. But uh I don't know. I don't know. I just I I love the guys. <laughs> so, uh, just I'm let me so get my yeah, puns real quick and yeah. say that, you know, I've tried the cheesy Kirk. You know, I've I've tried TNG and it God help me, guys. It just seems so goddamn boring. <laughs> I've tried the opposite end of the Ronald, Ronald D. Moore spectrum. I've tried Battlestar, which just seems it it just seems too heavy and intense for me. This watching Deep Space Nine, it just felt fucking alive. These characters are just like people. There's fucking shit fucking happening and just like going on, man. I just I felt really fucking in it, dudes. I don't know. This this might be the one. Yeah, I mean that. Well, I'm a little surprised because you're such a anti-Trek guy. But uh, if I thought there was any Trek that you could get into, it would be this one. And I'm so happy that you're getting into it. Um, again, like TNG, I love it. But um, the techno babble can get a little, um, you know, a little much. And uh, 
as much as I love the show, I just feel like DS9 feels like a modern show in a way that TNG does mm. not. And that's not an insult at all to TNG, but it just feels like DS9 could have been made last year and it would fit in with the current TV landscape in a way that TNG does not. Totally. Yeah, I think, I think DS9 has more flavors than TNG. Like TNG is like, it's, it's French vanilla. Like if you like French vanilla, you're going to love it. But that's all that there yeah. is, right? More or less. But with DS9, but, Rocky Road, Superman. I mean, you guys were saying, again, TV yeah. budget. The special effects look great. They're building two-level sound stages. So the, the sets are practical. The largest They're Star huge. Trek They're set ever built. Yeah. That's insane. amazing. Doesn't this, but doesn't this answer the question to you? When something new like Discovery comes out, or Orville, which mm-hmm. I'll just shout out real quick. I noticed a million of these characters are in the Orville, especially yeah. the Black Doctor lady. Um, but you just look at that where they're like, Fox, you know, I know you're breathing down our neck that we're using all this stuff for special effects that we're traveling. We're going to these planets, just set one of them on a space station, like deep space nine. It solves all of your problems. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring up the Orville. That's kind of a direct homage to TNG because Seth MacFarlane is just a huge Star Trek nerd. So he just wanted to make TNG. So he made it the Orville. Um, and there's a ton of, not only um, the doctor who plays uh, Captain Sisko's girlfriend in DS9, but there's a ton of smaller parts that are just various Trek actors. So I just wanted to highlight that. Marina Sirtis is in one episode. Tim Patrick from Voyager is in one episode. So it's a lot of fun watching the Orville and just seeing all those Trek actors popped up. We got a actor trivia for us Cleveland Indians fans from the 90s. Cyric uh, Lofton, Jake Sisko, is Kenny Lofton's nephew. Oh, oh I didn't know <laughs> that. Famous That's Cleveland Indian baseballer Kenny Lofton's nephew. That's right. Huh? That makes sense, guys. I'm 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 calling this episode a win, man. <laughs> it seems like we finally got Colin on board. It's, that was my I'm main goal. We didn't are. have to kill a Cardassian <laughs> or a uh, Romulan ambassador <laughs> yeah. or anyone. Yeah. It yeah. just it looks like a show more than any of the others. I don't know how to explain that to you guys. The others kind of look like movies to me, TNG especially, sure. but this. Just looks like a normal TV show. You would totally just check out exactly how Jacob said on a streaming service. Right. And I think, yeah, the resurgence of streaming on Netflix really kind of made this a kind of a cult hit. But it's a shame that DS9 never got its own movie because TNG got like four movies and they're not even that good. But um, Tom Hardy, though, to see a DS9. It would have been great to see a (laughs) DS9 movie uh, for sure. And watch it now on Netflix before you have to pay for Paramount Plus. Unless you're really into that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> get get in there now or use you know promo code normies on paramount plus you download yeah, the beta right now we're going to norm vpn and stream it from another country's netflix library whatever you need to do yeah there you go we use code normies like us yeah but yeah i could talk about ds9 for another three hours um so, we'll cut, so i'm we're so glad the that Colin was into it. now and we'll leave jacob to chat with you guys is it here can, my last question because joe said there's an awesome jumping in point for him rewatching it do I need to do it all? Could I skip past the Cisco with hair stuff and just jump in with him having a goatee, having adventures? I wouldn't because so TNG, you can watch any episode and not really lose that much. Like we said, DS9, it really is more linear. I would watch it in okay. order. Um, but the fact that you like the pilot so much, which again, I feel like is not the strongest episode at all. It gets so much better from like maybe the second season on, even the third season on, uh, just like TNG to me, like I don't like the first two seasons of TNG as much either. 
each Star Trek seems to take a little time to to find, find its, its niche. Yeah, it gets cooking. Damn. Yeah, but okay. by season okay. three and four, I'm, it might have its hooks in, guys. <laughs> right, and even in season two, the opening episodes of season two are a three-part episode, which was never done in Trek before. Damn. So they were already starting to do wild things in season two. Um, but I would still start with the first season and watch in order because you'll just gain more appreciation for the characters, I think, as they grow and change. Yeah. The, that's it. Yeah. The characters, we said at the beginning, we love the ensemble. The fact that they have continuity and growth, yeah, it's worth it to take the journey with them, especially if you like the first episode. There are always episodes to jump in on randomly once you've gone through it, like me and Joe said, uh, Trials and Tribulation, things like that. But yeah, probably... Burn through it because the character growth and development is one of the strongest things about the series as well. Yeah, and you could still skip around if you want, but there's certain episodes, like the first six episodes of season six, that you have to watch in order. Um, but yeah, yeah, you might see. Be a I say it, and then I'm going to skip the key one where you guys are like, "But that's where the little Ferengi kid's leg gets blown <laughs> off, and he cr- the we siege all of, crying." And uh, stuff. The episode is nuts. A, you're not going to understand where Vic Fontaine came from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my big fear. He's the send-off, yeah. yeah. Vic Fontaine. Well, the lounge singing us out of here. Is that is that an episode yeah. of Normies Like Us on Deep Space Nine or what, fellas? I think, I think so. so. I think we're going to have to hit uh, warp speed here. Let's get going. On a space station? As always, Normies. <laughs> we'll take the <laughs> Defiant. Put. Oh, go yeah. to the out. <laughs> we'll jump in the outpost. Um, normies, always check us out at normies underscore like underscore us. We're doing a fan February right now. Jacob just hit you with a his pick episode. We're not going to be doing that all month long. We're we're getting out of it here. So we're going to be going back to if you have some stuff you want us to talk about, break down the niche, the normie, hit us up at normies underscore like underscore us. Other than that, we have been your hosts in the deep space here with your host, uh, Red Shirt Colin. Now the Grand Mike is. Give me that gold press uh, latinum. <laughs> Captain Sisjo. <laughs> First of all, I just want to say, Colin, it's funny that you're red shirt because in the original series, red shirts were the extras, but then red shirts actually became the command uniforms. So like all oh, the that captains. is because yeah. Picard wears a red shirt. That's yeah. true. It becomes yellow um, shirts later. Anyway, freaking nerds. Right. Yeah. But uh, this is uh, Jake Sisko. I just want to be a writer, Dad. Come on, I don't want to join the Starfleet. Wow. Anyways, all right. Thanks, Normies. Right, <laughs> thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Oh, hell yeah. This is Aquaman, and if you enjoyed that episode, I'd really appreciate it if you give it a like, share, and subscribe on iTunes, and you'd really be one of my man if you share with a friend. We'll be seeing you around.